So uh, last uh, Sunday evening, I was sitting right about in the first row, right about there, and uh, Doug was sharing a message, and uh, he was telling a story about how his uh, three children, uh, Cade, Bryn, and uh, Landon, uh, ages, let's see, 10, it's, it's Cade's birthday today, so it's 10, uh, 7, and 5, my precious, precious little grandchildren, were exposed to R-rated uh, language. Uh, it wasn't Doug's fault. He was driving in the car, and uh, he was talking to somebody, conversing with somebody over Bluetooth, you know, the speakers and all that. And uh, somebody obviously, you know, doesn't know the Lord, doesn't have a filter, you know, didn't probably realize that there were children in the car. So uh, when uh, Doug explained that when uh, he got home, he had to explain to Mama Bear that three baby bears heard a couple of words that they shouldn't have heard. And uh, that uh, kind of reminded me, I mean, I'm sitting there and all of a sudden there's this flashback of uh, this memory uh, that happened to me that was very unpleasant. In fact, it was painful. It was one of those, one of those things that happened in, in my, you know, uh, conscious memory that has kind of been seared there. And, and every once in a while, you know, it's, it's there. Uh, you know, you may not think it's a big deal, you know, but it was a big deal for me. Uh, I was probably about Bryn's age, maybe about seven or eight years old. And uh, I'm playing in Brooklyn. I'm playing on the block, you know. And uh, my, my mother, now we, we lived in a four-story brownstone. Uh, we lived in the basement, or not the basement, but the ground floor apartment. And you had to step down a couple of steps, uh, maybe one or two to, to, to get into the... So she's, she's, she's standing like, like down in this well, uh, and she's calling to me. I'm playing, right? I, I, I'm, you know, I can't be bothered, right? But, but, but I go over to her, and... Uh, I can't remember what she wanted me to do or what she didn't want me to do. I don't, I, that's not significant. But, but what I remember is, you know, saying, I'm playing, you know, and, 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 and in the, the bratty expression of, of, of you know, my uh, being a brat, you know, uh, I, I shared a word with my mom that I had heard some of the big kids on the block share and talk about, right? Uh, even though I had no idea what I was saying, I didn't know what it meant, you know. Uh, nevertheless, you know, the, the damage was, was, was done. It was too late. Couldn't take it back. And I will never forget the look on my mother's face. And it was a look of pain. Uh, it, it, I mean, what makes it so much worse is you got to know my mother. She was like, you know, the, the godliest woman and, and the sweetest woman, you know. So, so the offense for her ears was even greater because here's now her, her baby boy who's lost his innocence and uh, who's offended her because of, you know, the, the choice of words that I used in this argument that I was having with her. Now, like I said, you may not think it's a big, a big deal, you know, but that was 57 years ago. 57 years ago. And, and it was as fresh in my mind as if it was just like, you know, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, let me just say this to Maria. Maria, please don't be mad at me. Please don't beat me up later. You know, I know you're very protective of grandma, you know, but she's in heaven now. Don't worry about her, you know. <laughs> worry about me, you know, okay? So, so, um, it was, it was, it was one of those things that you just, you just can't forget, right? Uh, it's, uh, kind of seared in, in, in my memory. And, uh, 
I tell you what, if, if, if I stop right now and just started to, you know, take a pen and a piece of paper and write down some of the things, you know, I, I really don't have to try very hard to remember some of the things that I'm ashamed that I've done in my life. Uh, I, I don't know if that was the first thing I ever did that was shameful, but I know it wasn't the last thing I ever did. And, and I could come up with a list very easily without having to strain my brain of those things that, that I did that I would be ashamed of, that, that, that I would be ashamed if they were up on the screen for everybody to see. And I think that that's probably true about every single one of us that's here this morning. There, there, there are things that, that we can't erase from our memory, things that we've done that, that even though we can be forgiven, we can't necessarily forget. Now, let me tell you, I, I know all about forgiveness, right? I, I, I'm a grace preacher. I, I preach the gospel of forgiveness where if you come to Jesus and you trust in him, he will forgive you of your sins. But I also realize that I may be speaking, I may be speaking to some who have a hard time forgiving themselves, who have a hard time receiving forgiveness and therefore they have a hard time forgiving themselves and, and, and getting past this obsession with, with guilt, things that you've done in the distant past or maybe not so distant past. And, and, and people struggle with that. I, I, under, I understand the psychology behind that of, of becoming obsessed with guilt. And I, I just got to tell you something, you know, so, some of the thoughts that we could have are, are thoughts like, you know, it, but, but this one thing that just keeps coming up as a nagging memory to, to, to me, it's like, I can't get over this. Can, can I just tell you that that is a, a lie? That is an absolute lie. There's a, there's a story about uh, Martin Luther, the great reformer. Uh, whether it's true or not, you know, whether it's a legend, I, I don't know. I, I, I tend to believe that, that, that it's true. Um, he, he, he probably had great opposition. We, we know that he had great opposition from flesh and blood, and he must have had great opposition from spiritual wickedness as well. And I mean, his, his message of, of salvation by grace alone through faith was, was a message that shook the entire religious world, that, that brought about the great awakening and the great reformation that, that changed the face of Christianity forever. And... Uh, no doubt the opposition against him was, was powerful. So, so, so the story goes like this, that one day Satan himself appears to, to Luther. Now, that's not hard for us to believe because Satan appeared to Jesus in the temptation in the wilderness. And he came with all of his accusations against, against Luther about his being a hypocrite and being unclean and, and being you know, just being a sinner who is unworthy of, of this position of, of, of preaching the gospel to others. And, and, and Luther did pretty, pretty good at first in uh, his, his, you know, uh, defending against those fiery arrows of accusation. But, but then Satan kind of pulled out his, his big weapon and, and he held up a scroll and the scroll reached down and rolled against the floor. And in the scroll, it had at the top of it in bold letters, two words, all sin. And underneath that was a, a list where, where Luther recognized of all the things that he ever did from the time that he was a child growing up and in his adolescence and in his adulthood and in his, in his present, present life or his present age. And, 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 and he recognized that. And in that moment, he felt, he felt condemned. He felt the, the, the burden 
of guilt and condemnation and the sting of, 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 uh, of his conscience, you know? And at, and at some point, something rose up inside of Luther and he knocks the scroll out of the hand of, of Satan himself and, and, it, and it unravels before him. And what was revealed at the top of that was this statement, but the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, cleanses us from all sin. But the blood of Jesus Christ and all of those sins were covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, now here's, here's the good news this morning. If you're a follower of Christ, there's a remedy. If, if you will become a follower of Christ today, let me tell you, there is a remedy for the guilt and the condemnation and that sense of shame that we all have experienced at some time or another in our life because of the things that we have done. And I gotta tell you that uh, this could be a day for you for maybe the first time for, to, have, to have that list blotted out because of the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son cleanses us from all sin. All of us from some time or another struggle with this sense of guilt or, or condemnation that, that comes, maybe it comes as a whisper, you know, uh, of things that you've done in your past that you just can't forget. It's, it's, it's you know, burned in your memory, you know. And even though you, you, you know that you've been forgiven, there's that, there's that gnawing sense. I'm not really sure if when things go wrong, you know, when things, when the car breaks or when, 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 when you lose your job, that you kind of feel like maybe this is payback for something that I did in my life. You know, every single one of us carry within us the spiritual DNA from, from rejection, from, from the garden of, 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 of paradise. We, we carry with us being expelled because of Adam's sin. And even though it was in Adam, it, it still is in us, in, in our spiritual DNA, instinctively and intuitively. You know, we, we, we sense the pain of rejection, of what it means to be, uh, to be under just condemnation because all of us were born under the just condemnation of Adam's sin. Plus, we ourselves have sinned. We, we, we ourselves have experienced the, the guilt of sometimes stepping out of uh, fellowship with Christ. And the thoughts, they, 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 they kind of run differently for some of us. Maybe for some of us, maybe the button that the enemy knows how to push on you is the sin of omission, which is to him that knows to do good and does it not to him it is sin. Maybe that's the button that the enemy pushes against you or the accusation that comes to you for, 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 for something else that, that, that is like, you wonder if God's patience is, is there, is there a limit to God's patience? Has, has God gotten to the place where he's sick and tired of you asking for the same forgiveness or the same sin repeatedly, you know? And, and so there, there's these feelings that you have. Now, now, now maybe th- this applies to you in a very limited way. Let's say on a scale of one to 10, you're not an eight or, or a nine and, 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 and maybe you're only a one. You know, on a scale of one to 10, there's those nagging thoughts every once in a while. But let me just tell you this, that even a one is one too many times, is one too much, and will have an interference with your joy in the Lord. So the name this morning I wanna share with you about Jesus is a name that I believe is absolutely a key to unlocking the mystery of God's infinite grace and his mercy. 
It is the cause and effect for all of the blessings that we have in Christ. And, and beyond and beside that, it is the reason for God's incredible kindness, which he's going to lavish upon us in the ages to come. The, the name of Jesus is precious to us. Uh, you know, there's so many songs that come to mind uh, because of the name of Jesus. There's no sweeter name I know. Like, like the fragrance after the rain, Jesus, Jesus, you know. And we've, and we've looked at that name, Jesus. It means he shall save his people from their sins. And, and, and that is encouraging to us. And we've looked at now a couple of dozen different titles of Jesus and names of Jesus, some given to him by the, by the prophets, some given to him by apostles, some, some he ascribed to himself. And there's even a couple that we looked at that were even spoken about him by his enemies. And that, that even those have encouraged us. When, when, when his enemies called Jesus the friend of sinners, that became encouragement to us. Or when Pilate presented Jesus before the crowd and said, behold the man. I mean, we, 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 we take joy in the fact that, that, that God has become one with us in our humanity and that the man, Christ Jesus, is the only mediator between God and man, and so we, we glory in, in that as well. But I got to tell you, the Father never calls calls him by the name of Jesus. Jesus is the name of his humiliation. The Father, not one time in Scripture, ever refers to his Son as Jesus, or really anything other than this name that is that is more precious to God, and therefore should become more precious to us. On two occasions. Father bestows upon his son this, this title, and you know it. He says, he says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And so we call him the beloved. He is the beloved son. On the first occasion at his baptism, when Jesus is being publicly introduced to the nation, as he's coming up out of the water and the spirit of God is resting upon him in, in the form of a dove, the heavens are open and the voice of God is heard from behind the veil saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Second time, second time it, it, it happens on the Mount of Transfiguration. There Peter, James, and John are eyewitnesses of his glory coming from this glorious cloud, not a weather cloud, but the, but the presence of God. And, and, and Jesus was brighter in his appearance than that of any, any son in his brilliance. And he's speaking with Moses and Elijah about his decease, which was soon to be accomplished in Jerusalem. And, and from that, the voice of God, again, from behind the veil, says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. My beloved son. There's probably no expression of the name or title to Jesus that, that is more perfect to, to describe the relationship between God the Father and God the Son. Beloved son. I mean, there is such depth of understanding. There is, Jesus has always been the object of the Father's affection. When there, when there was no universe, when there was no cosmos, when there was nothing in, at all but God, Jesus was the desire and the affection of his Father. He was the beloved son. Every son, every, every, every daughter needs their, their father's love and approval and acceptance and and you know what? Jesus was no different than, than any of us in our human desires and needs. And so, and so it, it, it's not strange at all that the heavenly father would be proud 
of his son and, and to let the world know that he was proud of his son saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. That pleasure that was brought to the heart of God is something that we all intrinsically long for as well. That title, beloved, really adds such intensity to, to, to another phrase that is so closely related to it. Uh, and it. And it came from the lips of Jesus himself. And it, and it happened, it was said to a, a religious member of the Sanhedrin who, uh, who comes to Jesus by the cover of night because he doesn't want to have anybody discover that he may possibly be a, a, a follower of the Nazarene. And so, and so to Nicodemus, Jesus says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You take those two terms together, beloved son, only begotten son. You take those two terms together and they spell out for us the cost and the sacrifice and the heart of God. You know, think about it. Uh, Any child ought to be precious to to a father, to a parent, but an only child is even more precious The death of any child is tragic to a parent. But the death of an only child is the loss of everything. And in in, in these two phrases, there is a tension of of both preciousness and the tragedy. The tragedy of the father himself bearing the, the pain of seeing his son, bearing the consequences of our sin at the hands of wicked and violent men. Listen, a child is always dear and always precious. These two expressions, beloved son, only begotten son, are really seen under the backdrop of our crimes and our sins which crucified the prince of life. Can you you imagine the pain that the heart of the father experienced as he sees the injustice and the brutality and the violence that's perpetrated against his son. But the amazing thing is that he designed it by the predetermined counsel and foreknowledge of God. You know, we, 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 we preach, as we, we, it's easy for us to speculate what was happening in the three hours of darkness. You know, we can, we can read into those three hours of darkness maybe, in speculation, you know, and some, some suggest that the, the sun refused to shine because it was so brutal and so violent. But the sun doesn't ever stop shining. Was it supernatural? Was it a darkness that was supernatural? Was it God covering his eyes in the sense that, that he could not look upon the violence? Whatever the answer is, is the amazing truth that comes out of this is that it's God who initiated this, it's God's doing. It's God who, by his predetermined counsel and foreknowledge, has arranged this whole thing. And the amazing thing is that it is the demonstration of his love for us. Now, you know what? It probably would be amazing if I told you that God likes us. 
That even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So if I tell you that Christ loved us so much that he died for us, I mean, you understand that that's what the word of God says. But can I, can I tell you this? Can I elevate it to the place where God delights in you in the same way in which he delights in his son, that you are the object of his affection and his pleasure from eternity? That there has never been a time that God has not seen you, if you're a believer in Christ, apart from his son. And I'm going to bring that out this morning as we, as we consider the key that unlocks the mystery of grace. You know, Jesus said, the father himself loves you. Father himself. You know, it, it is not as though, it is not as though Jesus died in order to make God love us. No, Jesus died because God loved us. Let me say it again. It's worthy of a tweet, you know. It really is. Jesus didn't die in order to make God love us. Jesus died because the Father has loved us. And that's profound when you think about it. I want to take what it's revealed in the gospel, and all we have in the gospel is the, is the title, The Beloved Son. This is my beloved son. But there's no explanation until we get over into the New Testament where Paul takes and, put, and, and places that title in a contextual setting so that, so that we, can, we can grasp and understand the treasure that is related to that. Because Listen, you, you, will, you will never have absolute confidence that your sins have been forgiven unless you can see through the eyes of, of the way in which God sees his son as the beloved son and then that relationship and how that it affects us. So we're going to look at the first seven verses of Ephesians chapter one this morning. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Just, just keep those, could, could you put those three verses, I'm sorry, those first two verses up together? Thank you. Notice in, in two verses, two, three sentences really, we have, we have the mention of Jesus three times. Jesus Christ. Christ Jesus. And uh, uh, Jesus Christ once again, or Christ Jesus, or the Lord Jesus Christ in that, in that second verse. Jesus is the center, and he is, he is the centrality of eternity. He's the centrality of the message of the gospel. There is no gospel without Jesus. There is no relationship with God apart from Jesus. You cannot have a relationship with God the Father would simply be unapproachable light and he would be an all-consuming fire had it not been for Jesus who takes and creates a relationship where now we can have a relationship with our heavenly Father and call him Abba, Daddy, because of Christ. The word saints is used there. Paul says, to the saints that are in Ephesus, th that word has been hijacked. It, it does not mean what others may think that it means. It's not a special group of people. All the believers in the city of Ephesus were saints, just like all the believers in Nisconsin are saints. And that word, that word saints means to be set apart. 
We've been set apart to be made something, not because we are something, but because God has a design in order to make us something. And we'll elaborate on that in a minute. And he says, grace and peace to you from God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the source of both grace and peace. And and I want you to see it is always in that order. It's always grace first and peace second. You You cannot have peace apart from grace. It is grace that enables you to experience the peace of God that passes understanding. Grace unmerited, undeserved, unearned, received through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God and then follows peace. You can't have peace without grace. First comes grace. So he says in verse three, blessed, praise, be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with, with, with some spiritual blessings, with a few spiritual, no, with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. The last two words, in Christ, or, or I capitalize those letters because they are Paul's favorite phrase. If you just did, did, took a concordance and you just, on your own, do a study of in Christ, you will see the treasures that we have in Christ. It's like Paul, what, what Paul is doing is like he's opening up a treasure chest for us and it's overflowing with, with, with precious stones and pearls and jewels and, he's, and he's, he's, he's running them through his fingers for the church to see, look at these treasures that we have in Christ. They are in Christ. They're they're not outside of, they are only in Christ because of Jesus Christ. Every spiritual blessing belongs to us. They may trickle down now to us, but in the ages to come, it's going to be like a Niagara. It's It's going to be like a Victoria Falls. We will not be able to contain all that God has purposed for us. Verse four says this. Love it, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. He chose us. He initiated something. He looked at us before time began, before a world was was created, before there was a universe, before the foundation of the world. He chose us that we should be holy, not because we were holy, but in order that we might be made holy without blame, that is without blemish, without wrinkle, without spot. Before him in love, it was love that motivated him. Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Every phrase, every phrase in that, in that sentence, in that verse needs to be broken down. It's precious, it's, it's jewels, it's pearls, for us to enjoy. If you are in Christ this morning, it's because you were chosen. That is the doctrine of election that God has from eternity, according to his own sovereign prerogative, has made choice. If you, if you understand the gospel and believe the gospel and trust in Jesus, it is because of nothing in you, but because of everything in God's selection and choice of you. Before Adam fell, before I rudely spoke to my mother, before 
any of us committed any sins, God has chosen us that we might obtain mercy, that we might receive salvation. And it's according to his good pleasure that we might be before him without spot or wrinkle or blemish before his throne, faultless before his presence. Do you realize what we're talking about? Being faultless before the presence of almighty God. And there's that word predestined. Don't let that word scare you. It's a big theological scary word. Ooh. <laughs> no, it's not, it's not scary. It just simply means that God has, God has designed your adoption. And, the, and the, the idea of adoption in the Roman culture was this equal rights and privileges with the children born in the family. There's no, there's no inferior rights to, to us. We have the same rights as the man Christ Jesus because we're made heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. And God's planned this. That our adoption, see, we're born into the family of God. We're begotten by a living hope, not by the will of men, but by the will of God. God births us into the family. But then, but then we receive as adults the adoption, which is the rights and the privileges and the inheritance that he has in store for us. And it's God who has is, who is completely designed this. Verse six says, to the praise of the glory of his grace. We, we bless God from our poverty, but God blesses us from the riches of his grace by which he made us. And here's the phrase. Here's, here's four of the most important words you will ever hear in your life. He made us accepted in the beloved, accepted in the beloved, accepted in the the beloved. Remember, he said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, but now we are accepted in the beloved. Say this, and I'll never tire of, of, of saying this, but that, but that we rest in the accomplishments, in the achievements, and in the righteousness of Jesus Christ himself. That is what God gifts us with. He bestow, He imparts that to us by the substitutionary transaction that has taken place. Acceptance. I mean, we, we all know how important that word acceptance is to us. It's, it's important to us socially. It's important to us much more spiritually. You know, the, the, the opposite is, is, is maybe the most frightening of all thoughts, that, that we would ever be rejected by God, but to be accepted by God. By God in the beloved lifts it to a whole new elevation. But can I tell you that that English word acceptance is not sufficient enough to describe what Paul wants us to have a grasp of here this morning? You see, what, 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 what Paul is saying is very similar to what an angel said to a young virgin by the name of Mary when he, when he said, Mary, you are highly favored of God. That is the same expression that this acceptance is the, is the greatest favor of all of God. God has bestowed blessing of favor and greatness upon those whom he has chosen in, him, in his son. And then it says this in verse seven, in whom, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. We have the forgiveness of sins, once again, through his blood. 
What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. There's a fountain filled with blood flowed from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunge beneath that that flood lose all their guilty stains. The stains are, are washed away. And to him who has loved us and washed us in his own blood and made us kings and priests unto a God. The first and most important thing that God has done with your sin and my sin, my guilt and your shame, was to nail it to the cross by having laid it upon his son. This is what the prophet said. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him, the Lord God has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Everything else that God has done flows out of this one gracious and glorious act of Jesus voluntarily substituting himself for our guilt and our shame, deserving the punishment that we deserve, he took upon himself. And and as a result of that, God reckoned that he should be punished in our place. He imputed my guilt to Jesus, your guilt to Jesus, even though he was innocent. This is what it says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, the righteousness of God. What, what, what that means is that God will not, he has promised that he, he will not judge us, he will not condemn us, he will not reject us because he has dealt with our sins and he has separated our sins as far as the east is from the west. Therefore, because of that, God doesn't hold us over our head. He doesn't try to manipulate us, doesn't try to threaten us with our past sins anymore. They've been blotted out. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, cleanses us from all sin. In other words, to have our sins forgiven by God means that they are no longer on God's radar. You you all heard about the plane that's missing from from uh, Malaysia. I heard this morning, 20, there's now 25 nations are looking for the plane. It, it, is, it, is, it is not on anybody's radar. They don't know where it is. Well, you could add up all the nations of the earth and they could try to find your sin and my sin this morning. If you're in Christ, if you're in Christ, it, is, it has been wiped out. Can't be found. So let me tell you what's so practical then about this message and and where the rubber meets the road for us. Let the accuser do his worst. Let him take his role of enumerated things that we've done wrong in our life. And I'm, I'm safe because my life is hid with Christ and God. I'm already seated in heavenly places in Christ. My heart says I belong to Christ. Let guilt point its ugly finger at me. I am safe. The wrath of God has already passed upon the Son of God as my substitute. My heart says I am accepted in the beloved. That's what I want you to walk away with this morning. That you can say those four, five, six words, I am accepted in the beloved. 
Those four most important words now become six. I am accepted in the beloved. The power of sin has been broken. The accuser has been cast out. He has been silenced. And our sins have been paid for in full. And now guess what? Guess what God calls you? He says, you are my beloved. Beloved, it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when we shall see him, we shall be like him. Repeatedly over and over in scripture, God refers to the church as his beloved. By the same title and name that he gave to his son, that which is so precious to him has now become precious to us and so practical for us so that I could walk in joy and not be, not be harassed by the accuser, not be harassed by my own memories, not be harassed by, by my own failures of the past, but know that my sins have been blotted out for his name's sake. Amen? That's the cause for joy this morning. That, that, that's the reason why. What do we offer to him? Praise and thanksgiving for what he has done for us. This is God's doing, and it's marvelous in our sight. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning for the truth. And you said the truth shall set men free. Whom the Son shall make free is free indeed. I pray this morning, Lord God, for brothers and sisters here who need to be free to forgive themselves and also to be forgiven. And I pray, I pray this morning if there's someone who needs to trust Christ today as Savior, that they will have their hearts opened and an operation will take place, that the surgery, Lord God, you'll cutting away of the flesh and creating in them a heart to know you, God, to know and love you as the beloved, as you, as you love your son, that they will receive today the love of God, perhaps for the first time, that there would be a fire that would rage in their own hearts with a passion to make Jesus Christ the Lord of their life. You see, you see this must be my response. My, my all in all must be coming to know him and to love him and to serve him. 